Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Interim Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. I'm Dr. Phil Chan. Welcome, everyone. Dr. Chan, good to see you again. And it's fun today to have one of our colleagues on the podcast with us. Thrilled to have Dr. Justin Burke from the Rhode Island Department of Corrections here and, and, you know, working at the Adult Correctional Institute. So a physician who's committed to care in correctional facilities. It's great to have you, Dr. Burke. So Dr. Burke, welcome to Public Health Out Loud. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you, guys. Yeah. and, And Dr. Burke, why don't we just start with telling us a little bit about yourself, like who you are, what do you do? Let us hear the Dr. Burke story. Sure. So my one-liner is uh, that I am a physician. I'm board certified in medicine and pediatrics and have been a primary care physician and feel like I am a primary care physician first. Um, I'm also board certified in addiction medicine, and that's where a lot of my, my passion lies. I hold a faculty position at the Alfred Medical School and enjoy working with residents and students. Um, but for the intents and purposes of this uh, podcast specifically, uh, I am the medical program director at the Rhode Island Department of Corrections which means I oversee and supervise all healthcare delivery for anyone who is incarcerated in the state of Rhode Island under the custody of the Department of Corrections. And so that's healthcare, subspecialty healthcare, dental, psychology, psychiatry, um, a whole gamut of services. And I just want to welcome you, Dr. Burke. And for our listeners out there, Dr. Burke has been one of those heroes behind the scenes, uh, providing uh, care to this very underserved population, which we'll talk about more in a second. But Dr. Burke, I just want to thank you for all your work, first off. Starting from the beginning here, I mean, what attracted you as a physician uh, to work in the correctional setting? Uh, That's very kind of you, Dr. Chan, and I appreciate it. It's been wonderful to work with with you and the Department of Health uh, in this role. I think my interest in correctional health or the path that got me to correctional health really started with addiction and opiate use disorder. I did my training in Baltimore, which is very much on the front lines of the opioid overdose crisis, uh, and seeing patients suffer through addiction, seeing their families suffer through addiction, um, seeing how medication can really completely revolutionize someone's life so that they're focused on their their family, their life, their job, uh, rather than than having this, this you know, constant feeling of, of needing to um, use just to avoid being sick. This passion for opiate overdose is really what got me into correctional medicine. The natural progression of disease for anyone that is addicted to opioids uh, is often incarceration. Um, and these people are at extremely high risk uh, for overdose when they leave the correctional facility. Um, so that's where I decided, you know, this is the low hanging fruit from a, a public health intervention standpoint. And when I was in Baltimore, um, I heard about what was going on in Rhode Island. I called up Dr. Jody Rich. I flew up here. I toured the ACI with him to see this new comprehensive medication for addiction treatment program. Uh, little did I know that this was going to be the path that it then led me down to become a Rhode Islander um, and now serve in this role. Uh, but it all started really on the front lines on, on the streets of Baltimore through opiate use disorder. Yeah, that's a great story. I actually did not know that about you. And it's you know, it, it's really very Rhode Island because there's so many people in Rhode Island who know everybody. It's a small state. And it's interesting how, you know, you get connected with Dr. Jody Rich and very novel program we have at the Adult Correctional Institute where inmates can get treated with buprenorphine, naloxone and other treatments to keep them, uh, their opioid use disorder treated. Um, so they have Medicaid assisted treatment, which is a really, you know, important treatment. It's something that should be standard in every um, every correctional setting in the United States, but it is not. Rhode Island was one of the first states to do this, which is a great program. But it really gets me to a more basic question. You know, I'm just really cognizant that many of our listeners 
may not understand the difference between a prison and a jail. And they're different. So can you talk a little about the difference between a prison and a jail? Absolutely. And we'll even complicate it further uh, because truthfully, a jail and a prison do not exist in the state of Rhode Island. Oh, that's awesome. We'll we'll talk about why it's complicated. So a jail is often run by a smaller municipality, a city or a county, and is very high turnover. A jail usually holds people while they are awaiting trial, meaning they've been arrested for an alleged crime, but have not yet been found guilty or sentenced um, to to a long-term stay of incarceration. So many people in a jail are really there overnight or for one to three days. It's often a very short-term, high-turnover facility. Uh, Often, if someone has a very short sentence, if if the judge determines that they should be incarcerated for, you know, seven, 14 days, or even a few months that often will stay in a jail. Um, But a prison is where individuals go for longer sentences. So if someone goes to trial, they are sentenced to prison for uh, a year, 10 years, or for life, they would serve that sentence in a prison. Prisons are often a state-run facility. There are federal prisons and jails for federal crimes, and it gets somewhat confusing about legal jurisdictions. But the big picture is that jails are short sentences, high turnover, usually in smaller municipalities. Prisons are longer-term sentences for individuals after they have been uh, sentenced and found guilty for a crime. Yeah, thank you for that, Dr. Burke. Uh, let me ask you this, you know, as a private citizen, right, when I as a patient, when I get sick, uh, you know, I go check in with my primary care doctor. And just in general, I check in with my primary care doctor, you know, once a year for a annual visit. Uh, how does it work in the correctional setting? Do you see all people who are incarcerated? Do you just see them if they're sick? Do you see them in both jail and prison? Talk to us about how that looks in the correctional setting. Absolutely. And so, there's multiple components of how healthcare delivery occurs in the correctional setting. I would say for a jail population where people are coming in uh, through a intake facility, individuals are going through a healthcare screening. They're getting screened for current health issues, for mental health issues, for addiction issues, um, for issues of things like alcohol or opiate use uh, withdrawal. Uh, And they're getting screened for kind of some of these high urgent issues that need to be taken care of immediately. So everyone has a quick intake screening. For those that are in a jail setting, a lot of times it's the name of the game is continuation and stabilization. For people who are in longer term prisons, we have much more longitudinal care, similar to primary care, which we can talk about. Rhode Island is unique because we have a unified system where it's not broken down quite as simply as a jail and a prison. It's one uh, large campus. All of our sentence facilities and intake jail facilities are within a one mile radius uh, in the campus in Cranston. And so there's a little bit more uh, accessibility for longitudinal care. When someone comes up for the screening at the intake services center, uh, which is our somewhat jail equivalent, um, their care is provided there by by physicians, primary care physicians, and and, uh, urgent care uh, providers. And if they wind up being sentenced, that care is longitudinally connected to a primary care provider in one of the sentence facilities. You know, I mean, this is, there's so much going on here that's really interesting. One of the things I'd like to just know a little bit about being a doctor in a correctional setting is there's got to be challenges to that. And and so I'm just curious, what are some of the aspects that make it a challenge to provide care in a correctional setting? Dr. Burke, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of different unique challenges in correctional settings as there are in different community settings. First, in this jail population, this high turnover does make it a challenge to have longitudinal primary care. A lot of times you might feel like you finally develop some rapport with a patient, get them set up on a regimen, and then they go to court one day, are released from court, have no desire to come back to the ACI to pick up their medications, they're back in the community. And so some of that that continuum of care is lost. Uh, I would say in other challenges, one of the biggest ones that any person that works in a jail or prison will tell you is mental health. Currently, there are 10 times more people in jails or prison with mental health than in mental health hospitals. And so the truth is that society has deemed prisons and jails to be the purveyors of mental health for a large proportion of the population. And if you were to create a environment that was the least ideal environment to uh, provide mental health services, a jail and prison would be one of those. So we often have to work in a very challenging environment um, for mental health and for things like chronic pain for stress and anxiety. Incarceration is a major stressor uh, and those environment or stressors are constant. And so we have to work within that environment to, to take care of patients that have um, a lot of these, these mental health comorbidities. Yeah, thank you for that, Dr. Burke. And I, I want to ask you a philosophical question. Uh, there are some people out there that may say, maybe we shouldn't be investing as many resources in health care for folks that are, are in prison or jail. What would you say to that? How would you respond to that? I think it's a challenging comment or question. I would say, one, that it's very important that people who are incarcerated get high quality health care. It's an otherwise very marginalized group that deserves health care, uh, that is constitutionally mandated to get health care. A uh, kind of fun uh, correctional health fact is that uh, people who are incarcerated are one of the few groups who have a constitutional right to health care. So they certainly deserve investment in resources to make sure they're, they're being taken care of. Though they would also likely benefit from community resources that could potentially even prevent their mental health exacerbations or addiction exacerbations from getting them incarcerated in the first place. And very much correctional health is community health. They go hand in hand. And so if you are trying to come up with public health interventions that affect the community and families, uh, the correctional health population cannot be overlooked. And unfortunately, it often is. And, you know, I think that's that's really an important point. You know, one of the things that the Department of Health, it's very important to us is not to have health disparities and not to overlook anyone and really look at all people because everyone deserves health care. Uh, I really think it's one of those things that's so basic, though, like anybody who's ever been sick, just imagine not being able to access health care. And that's something that far too many people in this country can imagine. Uh, so it's one of the things we endeavor to to correct. I want to just pivot our conversation a little bit to COVID because COVID has been on everyone's mind. It still is a little bit, but I'm curious what COVID was like in the correctional setting in Rhode Island. What, what did you guys do to prevent the spread of COVID in the correctional setting? Can you chat a little bit about COVID? I'd be curious about that, Dr. Burke. Of course. So for people who don't know, COVID in correctional settings has been a national crisis in that individuals who are incarcerated are at higher risk of getting COVID, are at higher risk of having severe disease. Um, there have been facilities where they tested individuals and 80 or 90% of individuals tested positive for COVID. And I think one of the biggest things of tying this correctional health is community health link is that a lot of these individuals go back in the community. You know, uh, in early the first wave, Cook County Jail 
was tied to 16% of all COVID cases in the state of Illinois. And so this was a global health problem that does not affect the community and separately affects correctional facilities, but they're very tied in LinkedIn. So some of the things that we did to try to prevent transmission and do uh, mitigation strategies to prevent severe disease uh, were what was being done in the community. Uh, we really encouraged vaccines, and we had an enormous success with vaccine coverage where over 80% of the sentence populations did get vaccinated very early on. And that's a testament to a lot of our public health educators who went cell by cell, providing education to individuals to get them vaccinated. We had universal access to surgical masks, KN95s. We spent a lot of time with the Department of Health and CDC coming up with uh, quarantine and isolation protocols that very much tried to balance the decreased risk of transmission, um, but also to make sure that people weren't just staying in their cell all day, which is, a, you know, a challenge. Quarantining and isolating in a jail and prison is is a challenge. It's not you don't have Netflix and DoorDash, and so trying to make sure that we're taking care of the mental health of individuals while they're isolated and quarantined. And I'll say throughout this process, uh, the Department of Health, uh, Dr. Chan, and many others were enormous resources to help think about what is the best way to keep our patients safe. Well, thank you for the kind words, uh, Dr. Burke. I do want to just acknowledge yourself and the others at the ACI. You know, uh, this pandemic has been so challenging and just the way that which you have dealt with it uh, has been, uh, you know, above and beyond. And I, I think to your point that you made about Cook County and, and not just Cook County, but other prison systems, you know, if you take a quick uh, review of, of some of the media stories out there. I mean, there are some prison systems that really, you know, had disasters uh, in some of their institutions. And I, I think that we did fairly well here in the state of Rhode Island and due to your effort, Dr. Burke and the other staff at the correctional setting. And just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But let me ask you this. I mean, your job is duly tough, in my opinion, right? Because you're taking care of patients, but you also, you know, you're a public health physician, right? So you're, as you mentioned, you're trying to prevent transmission between different uh, sections of the ACI, et cetera. How do you think about this in general? What are some of the specific diseases of concern for correctional settings uh, other than just COVID? Sure. So I'll say COVID was definitely, you know, a biggest challenge where it was really this idea of balancing um, how to do this in a safe way without affecting dramatically affecting programming and a lot of the resources that we provide for patients. Uh, though this occurs also with bad flus. So sometimes in influenza, this would occur if there's uh, has been a history of influenza outbreaks, there's a history of varicella outbreaks in correctional facilities. And so certainly uh, infection control is nothing new to the field of correctional medicine. There's also some other disease processes that individuals who are incarcerated often have higher risk for um, often because of things like addiction or drug use. So there is a higher prevalence of hepatitis C. Uh, we have a robust hepatitis C program where we treat in, any individual uh, who comes in with hepatitis C. Um, individuals with HIV are at higher risk of being incarcerated. Um, I will say that often people think of jails and prisons having like high tuberculosis rates. And I think this is this is more kind of a an old uh, thought. Uh, it's not something that is wildly prevalent in, in modern jails and facilities. What is, is comorbidities that we see in the community. So heart disease, COPD, um, diabetes, these are some of the biggest health challenges that our patients face um, and that we, we take care of, especially as our population gets older and older and has more and more complex comorbidities. Thank you, Dr. Burke. I want to move on to a different question just to kind of get into like, you know, there's gotta be some rewarding aspects 
to working in correctional medicine. So what are some of the most rewarding aspects of, of working in correctional medicine? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a wonderful field to work in that people often, it falls off their radar. Uh, you know, I'd say the patient population is one that faces a lot of stressors in life and has faced a lot of trauma in the past. Uh, they did something in the heat of the moment that wasn't necessarily that great. Uh, but working with these individuals just demonstrate that we're all human. It demonstrates the humanity uh, that is present in everyone. And it kind of highlights that we're all one bad day away from from being in the ACI. And so I think it's very grounding work. You know, you feel like you left uh, putting all your energy into doing something good. Um, and truthfully, for the people who are, are passionate about serving the underserved, who are passionate about health equity, who are passionate about opioid overdose and reducing uh, overdose deaths, we have a patient population that is very much aligned with those goals. And I think that is one of the things that draws providers to this fulfilling work of working within a correctional setting. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Burke. And I think you very eloquently said, uh, you know, you leave the job feeling good. And I'll be honest, that's what I, you know, love about public health is I leave the I leave the day feeling good. I think that was very well said. Uh, let me ask you this about the future of medicine uh, in the correctional setting. Uh, do you see it changing? Do you see it changing as a result of COVID? Uh, how does it have to change, perhaps, to address some of the uh, health issues of this population that maybe are currently unaddressed? What are your thoughts around that? Absolutely. I think there's there's two major things that I would uh, point people to, to understanding the future of correctional health. First is just the uh, prevalence of disease that we're, we're dealing with. And so we have an aging population. So first, a geriatric population, individuals are getting older, they're requiring things like skilled nursing facilities, they're requiring things like assistant with uh, activities of daily living, uh, they have multiple comorbidities, it becomes more and more of a challenge of treating patients who are older. Um, mental health and addiction will also always be a major challenge. As we discussed, Rhode Island has been a paragon for other facilities. It is the model for how to uh, treat uh, patients with addiction. And this is going to be the model going forward. There is new state legislation. There is new court rulings that really are requiring other states to start doing what Rhode Island has already done, and that's treating opiate use disorder. I will say the more broad future of correctional health is I do think people are realizing more and more that correctional health is community health and that incarceration um, is shown to have negative health consequences. And you'll see advocates um, in the community, but also in large organizations, including the American Public Health Association, who are advocating from a public health standpoint uh, for things like decarceration and even the abolition of prisons, which is in you know, their policy statements. And so as communities bring this more into the limelight, I think the future of correctional medicine and public health in the intersection uh, is going to be something that is talked about more and more and how to mitigate uh, the health consequences of the challenges that correctional medicine provides. Yeah, and Dr. Burke, this is really, I mean, it's been very informative, and I think it's a topic that, quite frankly, most of us just don't talk about. I'm just curious, you know, internationally, is there any country that does correctional health really, really well and maybe serves as a model? You know, in some ways, like Rhode Island, I think, is a model for, you know, medication-assisted treatment in correctional facilities. I'm just curious, is there any country that just says, well, you know, that's the country that just does correctional medicine the best. I wish I had a great answer. I would say some people will turn to um, Scandinavian countries and uh, look towards these 
kind of more progressive criminal justice models. Um, I would say it is an interesting intersection of public health, uh, criminal justice, and really your philosophy on what is the goal of incarceration? Is it rehabilitation? Is it punishment? Um, is it protecting the for individuals and communities from a public safety standpoint? And then I think you have to look at your society's view and say, is it accomplishing these goals? And that differs politically, philosophically per each country. Um, and so it, it makes for good dinner conversations, but it becomes very heated conversations uh, quite quickly. This has been a great topic to talk about, and I think it's it's wonderful to end on that note. As we get ready to close our episode, and it's probably time for Stephanie to cue the music, our time has gone by too quickly. One of our traditions at Public Health Out Loud is for Dr. Chan to close us with that final word. Dr. Chan, what's the final word today? Yeah, thank you, Dr. McDonald and Dr. Burke. I want to thank you again for joining us and thank you for all the work, uh, both yourself and the rest of the staff at the, the ACI. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, in closing, I do want to leave our listeners with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your day. And here it is uh, by famous French author Victor Hugo. He who opens a school door closes a prison. Thank you all and be well. I want to thank Stephanie Menders, our executive producer, Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Have a good and keep up the great.